Hello and welcome to Ford It's Earth, a nature, climate change, environment, sustainability podcast, uh, which breaks down big topics and asks, is there anything that we can do to save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are talking about bogs, baby. Bogs. Bogs. Peatlands. Bogs. I'm so, so excited for this episode. I've been lobbying for like a year to talk about bogs. And then our text messages today while we were researching were just like, Oh my god, bogs are so cool. How cool are bogs? Bogs are blowing my mind. But this is the thing, I've I've kind of not not resisted the idea of bogs, but I wasn't um It wasn't high on your enthusiastic. And I understand. Yeah, because I you know I love like coral reefs and oceans and we did like the Arctic and stuff, and bogs never really I sort of knew well obviously I knew they're important, but I don't think I really appreciated how many layers bottom tish there there are to bogs. <laughs> I love it. You've come over Very to the cool. bog site. Well, but this is right. This is the point. So, like, you didn't realise how awesome they are, and yeah. now you're a bog convert. And now I'm really hoping that we will pull a few of the listeners into our into our kind of boggy mire of excitement. Nice. What a what a what a vivid picture. Yeah. Yeah. Interest. Anyway, right before before we get too bogged down, Let's convert some boglets. Um, what one good thing have you done this week? <laughs> um, so I've bought clothes. Okay. Yay. Well done. You have been doing these naked for months and I've been telling you it's just not Yeah, I know. What, what a relief, right? <laughs> um, and then you started putting video clips of us talking uh, on our social medias and I thought, you know what, I really should start wearing clothes. <laughs> this is going to well, go wrong one that's day. That's a little teaser for everyone's head over to Instagram, isn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> the, the For What It's Earth calendar is coming soon, guys. <laughs> oh my God, why didn't we think of this? <laughs> Next year. January is just me and a fig leaf. No, um, I bought some jeans today after trying to do some research and we've covered jeans before, mm. way back in like fast fashion and they take a lot of water to make. It's something like 100 and... I'm just going to make up a figure, 170 litres <laughs> of water or something. Yeah, cotton is a thirsty crop for denim, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the dyeing process and it's it's really bad. But the thing is, all of my jeans which were sadly cheaply made have got holes in mm. and we do obviously advocate repair but the ones i bought were from a couple of years ago and they were cheaper materials so i i feel like there's only so much you could do to repair them if you see what i mean but I'm gonna give, i am going to give it a go anyway yeah but i wanted to buy some high quality ones that are going to start lasting me because mm. that's the adult i want to be now Oh, and so proud of you. I found some a jeans company called Mud Jeans, M-U-D. Ah. So I never heard of them before, but I did my thing of putting into Google, what are sustainable jeans brands? And then you find <laughs> some like collated top 10 article. And anyway, it, they look really interesting because Mud Jeans, I, I bought mine outright, but they also do a jeans club. Ooh. And you can pay, I think it's like £10, £12 a month to effectively rent the jeans from them if you wanted. And after, I think, a year or whenever is you pay off... No, yeah, after a year, which actually pretty much pays off the, the a pair of jeans from their website, you have the option of just carrying on paying the £12 and you can send that original pair back and they'll send you a new pair. <gasps> and they'll mm. use that used pair 
in their closed circular system to fashion a new pair out of it. And there's also like a repair option. And I think you can also potentially send in other older pairs of jeans that aren't from them to get a discount as long as they're over a certain percentage of of cotton or something. I need to look into it a bit more. And they've got all this stuff on their website about their processes that use less water and less land. It's very very cool. I really hope it's true because I've bought into it and it's all very, very exciting the way (laughs) they've done this. That sounds amazing. That's really cool. And I'll report back because I'm really hoping the quality is going to live up to it. Yeah, definitely. That's that's some, I've not come across them before. They sound amazing. That's a good a good example of a, of a company doing good things. Yeah. There we are. So what about yourself? Okay, mine this week I am, I'm pretty proud of. I'll be honest. It's been on my nice. list for a really long time. Because you're always really ashamed of all the other ones you do. Well, you know what? You know how it is. Some of them are like just quite small and you think yeah. was, was it was good technically but is it something to put on a podcast but this one I am actually quite pleased with um, so I have opened a bank account with Triodos Bank um, because Very they nice. invest all of your money or their money well your money the money that they have in their bank uh, responsibly so they put it into small community ventures um, and also things like renewable energy because what I didn't realise was that banks don't just sit on your money it's not like Gringotts in Harry Potter. They don't just have a vault underneath. Um, they do things with it. And a lot of major banks... My bank is. <laughs> There's just... a rickety old roller coaster in the back. <laughs> um, but I, di- I didn't quite realise. But yeah, but a lot of major banks will fund things like fossil fuels and things that I don't mm-hmm. really want their money to be doing. Which, um, is how, which is how you get the interest back, yeah. Yeah, which I, it, in hindsight does make total sense. I had just never thought about it before at all. Um, in, in your defence, that's our terrible school systems not preparing us adequately for real adult life. No. But go on. That's a very good point. I'll stop trying to bring down the system. Education go on. <laughs> needs to be improved. Um, but we love teachers. Well done. You're doing an amazing job. Um, yes, well done. Yeah, so well, so that's that's what I've done basically. So now um, a chunk of my money, at least I know, is doing good because once you've switched over, that's just a habit that keeps being good. A bit like switching your renewable energy supplier, which I will not stop going on about. Moving your money somewhere sensible means it continues to do sensible and good things. So I thought that was pretty yeah, cool. I agree. Very good. That's that's awesome. I, I should probably look into that. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, bogs. Let's talk bogs. Yeah. Fancy a definition? always always here we go so bogs or peatlands we can kind of say both um are areas which accumulate dead plant matter under a layer of standing water year round so they can be up to 95 percent water and they can even be up to like 14 meters deep in some areas which does make Mm -hmm. it quite hard when you're trying to calculate things like how much organic matter is stored because you don't always know how deep a bog is yeah which is fun i I mean i am saying this with no actual knowledge of what goes on, but I presume like these days with LIDAR and things, it's slightly easier. Yeah, and I know you perhaps. can take cores as well, but I don't know if you oh, have yeah. a 14 metre um, core. Perhaps you do. I imagine science has these things, otherwise we wouldn't have that statistic. If but, you're um, a bog scientist, please let, let us know. know. <laughs> um, please send us pictures of a core. Yeah. But, okay. But, but what you're saying then about uh, a layer of moss, it's, it's sphagnum moss, isn't no, it? No, I very... said a layer of freestanding water. Ah, but we sorry. will get on to moss. Okay, so basic to, so to sort of elaborate on that definition. Crack on. What it usually is is a very particular type of moss called sphagnum moss, mm. and that's kind of required because because the way it grows, I, I don't really know. But for some reason, that seems to be very important. And it can either grow over the top of like an existing lake, for example, mm. uh, and these lakes 
are most commonly left over from the last ice age, apparently. So it's it's water that wasn't drained away properly. It just kind of got left as standing water. Mm. And the moss grows over those bodies, like you said, and sort of traps all this um, decaying plant matter beneath it. Or, very interestingly, uh, well, I'm sure everyone else is going to find it as interesting as I do. Very interestingly, it can all, the bogs can also form by the moss forming a layer over dry land, but it traps the precipitation that's underneath it. Mm. So it also forms that way. Sphagnum moss is so cool. It can hold, like the amount of water that sphagnum mosses can hold is like up to eight times its own volume. That'll be why it's so important, yes. It's um, it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and I was looking at bogs, you know, just browsing bogs and bogs and bogs, and you can get all types. So there are like cataract bogs, quaking bogs, blanket bogs, raised bogs, string bogs, valley bogs, all have different definitions of what they are and where they're formed. Very cool. I think Very I think cool, most though. of my research has been on raised bogs, but we will go into yes. We'll I, I think those are perhaps the most common ones. I feel they're the in ones that the world. we're doing a lot of restoration work with in the UK. So there's a lot yes. more kind of info on how to restore them. But I mean, why are we even talking about bogs? We are interested in bogs. Just because we love I mean, them. they're really cool. But one of the main reasons they're so gosh darn cool is that when a bog is healthy. It is an amazing carbon sink. When it's unhealthy and when it dries out, it's actually a carbon source. But the potential that bogs have to sequester carbon is crazy. So the IUCN actually calls them the largest natural terrestrial carbon store. And the area of the world, like naturally covered by peatland, sequesters more carbon every year than all other vegetation types in the world combined. Well, the stat I've got is that a 15 centimetre thick layer of peat contains more carbon per hectare than a tropical forest which is i mean can we just take a small pause to like let that sink in it's mad and what and you think how outraged we were rightly about burning the amazon for example this is almost like a a problem that's going under the radar totally going under the radar loss because of bogs, bogs and haven't been seen as sexy whereas trees are very easy yeah and and that trees also in terms of like visual imagery are very easy to spread that image of a tree being cut down yeah it's not quite as um as graphic a front page is it of a, a bog drying out but also the loss of bogs has been quite a gradual process one that's been going on for a long time mm. so in my scouring of the internet for for cool hip trendy bog facts (laughs) bogs have been central to so many towns villages communities in england especially for a thousand years because the the peatland the the peat the soil would be so good in insulating houses and just building from. It would be really good for burning because it had a really slow burn, which meant you can keep a fire going for a really long time. It's been used in agriculture because it's ran, and even today in commercial like compost because it's so rich in organic matter. Um, they've used it in the same way as burning for, for homes. They've used it for electricity generation when it's yeah. been burnt. It's it's actually quite a versatile um, or it's got, it, because it's got such dense organic matter, it's it's very useful in much the same way fossil fuels are. Yeah, but this and is exactly in, the problem. 
it's got yeah, all of this carbon is locked away. Yeah. And because of this layer of freestanding water that doesn't move, um, and because of this the sphagnum moss kind of encapsulating it all, it basically creates really anoxic conditions that are perfect for preventing plant matter, everything that's trapped under there from actually decomposing. So it doesn't release the carbon that's stored away. And it just it just sucks it in. It just it piles it on top, it just gets sucked in. Did you ever see those um have you ever seen those bodies? that have been like trapped in bogs for like I wondered where you're going with that then <laughs> for like a really long time no they they're like really fascinating in terms of like archaeology bogs because yeah. they're so good at preserving stuff oh so right yeah they found no option out like whatsoever. lots of ways yeah they found out lots of things about our history as humans in various parts of the UK where we've got yeah, bogs yeah. if they find a body in the bog that's literally just been preserved so much better than it would have been if it was um in in the normal ground the non-soggy earth you, to the point where you can like see what's in their stomach and what their last meal was and work out what sort of thing we ate back then fascinating Amazing. so cool so cool yeah but so basically peatlands are in really really dire shape so we need yeah. to restore them that's kind of what we're getting at so yeah around 94 percent of all lowland raised bog in the uk is destroyed or damaged is it that high mm, according to natural england and about 45% of what's left in the UK is in Cumbria. There's some in Wales. There's some projects also in Scotland. There's lots in Ireland. Um, but essentially, damaged peat bogs contribute to releasing almost 6% of global anthropogenic carbon dioxide emissions, which is, which is you know, that is a big old chunk. And if we're trying to lower our carbon output from absolutely everything that we do, we've definitely got to stop it escaping from bogs. Yep. And luckily, there's been a sort of shift or at least a sort of waking up in a lot of people and even in governments, which is quite nice to see, mm. because it's it's almost not necessarily an easy fix, but it's quite a straightforward thing to address if you can do it properly. Some would say it's easier than trying to switch absolutely everybody onto public transport, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it, yeah. In terms of it, in t- if you put it in the grand context of reducing carbon emissions from every sector. Like, this is a quick win. Yes. Quote-unquote, quick win. So uh, I noticed that in the UK government's 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution, that report that came out fairly recently, uh, they do mention restoring peat bogs as as a part of that. The EU has been funding a an initiative in Ireland. Is it just in Ireland? Is that no. like a pilot? So, well, so it, because they're recognised in Europe as a threatened habitat, there are lots of EU funded and protected bogs. Um, but yeah, this one you're talking about is the Life Programme. They fund a lot of um, environment and climate change projects in Europe, and some of them are still running in the UK. So yes, there's, there's the one in Ireland, which is life-funded, but there's also one in England, the one in Cumbria, which is life-funded. Yeah. You know, got got that funding in pre-Brexit. Um, but, yeah, that, but that just goes to show how bog, important it, it is. Yeah, the one in Ireland yeah. is called the Living Bog. Uh, the right. one in Wales is called... Ra- uh, what is the one in Wales called? Is it called Raised Bogs? I've forgotten. There's one in Wales. There's some more in Scotland, and the one in Cumbria is um, Bog Life. All, all exciting names, but it does, it does go to show how important um, decision makers are putting such a value on our bogs that they are throwing yes. a lot of funding at these restoration projects. Yeah, we are getting there. I mean, I was reading an article in, in the Irish Times about the Living Bog in- initiative and the funding, and 
it was quite an interesting story because it was focusing on someone called uh, Paul Connaughton, who used to be a, a politician in Ireland. Uh, if you're Irish, and I've butchered his name, I really apologise. But anyway, he was his family owned land that incorporated bogs, and it had been passed down for quite a few generations. And when the Irish government designated these bogs, actually, I don't know if the Irish government or the European uh, Union government, but anyway. When these bogs were designated as uh, special areas conservation, he was quite frustrated and angry, like a lot of the landowners were, because mm. this land had been passed down to them. And they said, well, what, what right do you have to suddenly tell me that I can't, you know, it's not mine to administer and I have to leave it alone completely. But it was, it was such a great story because he's since been convinced of their value to the point where he is actively taking part in the Living Bog uh, initiative and funding. And he is working to expand the bogs in, in his estate and, and the and the area around Galway. Good man. But what's also very cool is that the article notes that the reason it's been such a success around Galway is that the local community has been behind it. So they've really thrown themselves behind it and they're hoping that it's going to become a bit of a, a tourist space. So they've put down loads of boardwalks through the bogs and they've been training local guides to be able to take people around to identify all the different mosses and plants and birds because that's another thing. It's quite important habitat for very unique species it is they've got some some really rare species that live in bogs one of which is a carnivorous plant really yeah it's called the sundew plant it's carnivorous that's that's like kind of become like the poster the poster plant of restoring biodiversity in bogs yeah as you said they're such important habitats for lots of invertebrates that they also support um, a lot of bird species and in ireland actually the curlew which is a rare bird is um, quite reliant on bog habitat and i think the the shy red grouse as well is quite an important bird to um rely on said said habitat so it's not all about carbon it is also you know about biodiversity and species um protection as well and also like he's just said about getting the community involved that's such an important part of any conservation and restoration project i think especially now we're all waking up to realizing how important nature is and connecting with nature is on our mental health and our own well-being. Yeah. So I love the fact that they've got people in and they're going to let people not just know that they're really important habitats, but actually, you know, spend time in them and fall in love with them themselves and maybe yep. want to protect them. And That's it sounds really quite cool. cold, but what they did there as well is they turned it into, well, they presented the economic argument and they said, look, that you've you've got a chance of actually profiting from this ecological renovation by being able to train people for for uh, jobs, as mm. well as bring people into your local economy, and just having uh, just having an area that local people can walk around in and enjoy. Yes, green jobs, Lloyd. Next year, or whenever it is that we're allowed to um, go on podcast field trips, please let's go and see a bog. Yeah, I absolutely would like to go and hang out with some. Ferry on the road. Bog. Um, yeah exactly maybe we'll do a full tour we'll just tour the UK in like the back rooms of pubs where four people will come and listen to us and that can be our excuse for going to visit all of these amazing places and projects oh you're onto a winner there I think think you might be (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh did you know also bogs can be quite important in terms of flood control that's not something that we came across in our flooding episode of a year ago but because they can oh, hold such a Mr. Glaring hole there, yeah, yeah, because because they can hold so much water, they can help um, mitigate runoff and um, flooding issues. Here's, here's one for you, Lloyd. Uh, how do you monitor carbon emissions in peat? 
quick quiz. Got any ideas? How 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 big a how big a lad is Pete? Um, six foot four. Okay. Um, you are going to want to put him in a sealed chamber. <laughs> Poor chap. Oh, I'm going to stop there. I'm just <laughs> messing around. I know what you meant the whole time. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're on with know sealed chambers, to be fair. So the, basically, this uh, this is where I got really into the research because it's very similar to some of the permafrost research that I was involved in when I was in Sweden. I was going to say. It's time ago. Yep. I, you know I'm keen for soils, bogs and permafrost. The the unsung, sexy, you know, undercurrent of uh, of climate change is is all of this trapped carbon. Anyway, so uh, carbon can come out of bogs in a couple of different ways. And the obvious one is in gas emissions, so as methane or carbon dioxide. And like you said, this is where you get your sealed chamber. So scientists will pop like a plastic buckety balloon situation over a bit of it and have it sealed so that it's kind of it collects only what is being respired by or let out of the bog and then you can take a gas sample from that which you've just taken and then send it off um, to a fancy lab with some fancy equipment and it will tell you how much carbon is in it and um, Mm. but one of the other ways is that actually carbon can come out of bogs and indeed permafrost and other um, such soils it can be released as um, dissolved organic carbon. So that's another thing you have to look at is measuring what kind of carbon composition is in the runoff as well, because you can assume that it's storing a lot of carbon. But if you only take into account the carbon that is released as a as gas when you're trying to work out the overall like net sequestration of the peat, um, you also have to have a look at what can be kind of leaching out through other mechanisms. And it's learning about these mechanisms and quantifying all these mechanisms that climate scientists are, are trying to figure out because the more you know, the better you can make climate models and you can make those grand sweeping statements about them being better than trees for carbon sequestration. <laughs> well, well done, climate scientists. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. So cool. So cool. I'll put, oh, I'll tell you what, I could put a picture on the Instagram of them doing it with permafrost to kind of give you an idea of what, what those little chambers look like. That would be fantastic. Nice. Yeah, although you painted a very good word picture. Thank you very much. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I didn't it. realise how much of that had really nested in my mind, but it had. Um, it's, it's in there. It's there. So, we've talked about measuring them. Lloyd, if you and I went splits on a bog, how would you restore it? You would block off all the holes yeah so you would plug the wherever the water would escape from uh you would do that with the peat of course not not peat the the guy peat the the mud this poor chap and you uh, apparently you can make like plastic dams so you can sort of engineer the environment using dams which we've you know railed against in the past but in this case you can use little miniature dams in a good way. You you effectively raise the water level by blocking mm. all these these runoff uh, exits. You do basically everything you're trying to do yeah. when you're restoring a bog is to keep that environment damp year round. Yeah. Um, because as soon as it starts to dry moss, out, it starts to yeah yeah. That's the other thing. You don't want a bare surface of peat because that makes it very yeah. very easy for it to dry out. So you uh, you chuck your sphagnum sphagnum sphagnum. So you, you chuck your, your spag ball spag, in. sphagnum moss all over it and it will grow in mats like a like a carpet, like a living carpet of individual plants. They all kind of like knit together. Do you know how quickly it'll grow? 
I don't know, but I do know that you have to do some work beforehand to make sure there are other species that it likes in order for it to yeah. properly embed. Um, good job because with this is the one thing I, I didn't come across was how quickly you see the carbon sequestering. Oh God! We haven't even Co- had a, had a drink for this one, but we're no, getting our the, the, the carbon totally storage benefits. <laughs> I'm not sure how quickly. I don't know actually. I don't that know that happens if, if you see what I mean. Because obviously it's requiring requiring plant matter to decay and stuff underneath it. That, well, that's that's a good point actually. So I think with the or restoring part of it, you're more stopping the existing carbon that's stored away from being released as it right. Dries. So presumably straight you're away right. then actually. So that, would, so that would stop it from being released. But I, you're right, I don't know how quickly mm. it actually sequesters new carbon because I guess it's, it, yeah, it, it depends on how quickly the moss grows, then dies, and then the dead stuff ends up becoming peat and then it grows more. I don't know, is the answer. Bog scientists. And that's okay. Let us know. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so that's good. So we want to keep it damp. You can block drainage ditches to stop it kind of running off into agricultural fields or anything nearby. Removing tree growth is actually quite an interesting one because in a lot of places where it has dried out, if you're you know in the process of restoring one, trees might have grown in the areas that have, that have dried out, which they wouldn't normally do if it was a happy, soggy bog. So actually something you mm. have to do, it looks quite destructive. Particularly but you can get certain species of trees that do specifically like to grow in bogs because I thought you could get willow trees. Oh, right? willow do like water. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't so know. So certain trees. Some perhaps let the odd the odd willow in, yeah. But but generally, I think a lot of um, trees are not quite as water tolerant. Yeah. Oh, I've got a fun fact. So some of the work that they've been doing in Cumbria, of course, one of the things you want to do is if you're worrying about um, uh, water level, is you you want to monitor the water level. But they're also monitoring like all of the invertebrate species that are coming and going. And they've yeah. recently actually found. Um, a, a species of moth, the sundew plume moth, which hasn't been seen in the UK since 1891. They found this now, comeback. You, you say sundew, so I'm guessing that has something to do with the carnivorous plant that you mentioned earlier. He knows. Yeah, it's, it's because their caterpillars only eat the um, the sundew plant, which is oh, a really wow. rare species, but it's coming back. It's a specialist to healthy bulk habitats. <laughs> That's so exciting. Nature is amazing. Nature is <laughs> awesome. If we give it the chance leave things alone slash help them so we touched earlier on the reasons that peat bogs are being depleted and destroyed part of that is the fact that the soil is great for growing stuff in right so they are removing it quite often to then sell to us the the green-fingered consumer who want to grow things in our own homes and our own properties so quite an easy thing to well i say an easy thing one thing you can do now to help stop the degradation of peatland peat 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 peatland you you can help peat the the six foot four man (laughs) that's become the mascot of this episode peatland you can help him out by (laughs) buying soil that has not come from peatland or box yeah when you're in the in the garden center and you're looking at your compost there will be a stamp on them somewhere that says peat free and only go for those ones because then you know they've they've not come from um, one of our most vital carbon sinks. And I mean, to be honest, this was quite a hard one to figure out what can you do. The only other thing I kind of found was if you live local to a bog project, maybe volunteer if you really wanted yeah. to get your hands hands dirty. You Absolutely. Could, I mean, what's you quite nice out. about this one is that governments have started to take action. Whether mm. it's fast enough, I, I don't know, but they have at least acknowledged it. For example, Scottish government's committing 
quarter of a billion to fund peatland restoration over 10 years. And they've stopped, nice. they've, they've banned the burning of peatland and they're working on solutions for stopping any further exploitation. That is good. That's a fair old chunk of money in like yeah, the funding yeah. circle. Fair play. It's mad. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So, so yeah, it, it's almost a bit of a more positive one to end on actually for this mm. episode because work is already being done, but you can still help even further by, as we said, buying peat-free soil when you go to your gardening this spring. And we all know that the growing season is upon us and we're all going to be going mad for compost soon. So that's a good one to get in before we all um, go and buy lots of peat. Absolutely. There we go. I think we've smashed bogs. Oh, I just love a bog. Can't wait till we can go and see one. Right. But before we wrap up, I'm going to introduce a segment which may or may not be regular called Listener Corner. Because... I mean, honestly, listen, we, we do read every single email you guys send us and, and we love them. But one particular came in recently from Jack Walker and he sent us a, a paper that had been published in January uh, 2021. And it was titled Underestimating the Challenges of Avoiding a Ghastly Future. And he basically said, hello, read this. You know, I'd love to know your thoughts. So yeah, we read it. Thank you very much for sending that in. It was really interesting. Uh, I hadn't was. read it before then. It's it's a great paper because straight away you can tell it's been written for politicians and for a more general public because the language isn't as scientific, isn't as heavy, isn't as laborious as scientific papers tend to be. Mm. It's quite concise. It really wraps up the scale of the ecological and the climate crisis that we're facing. And it, the reason I liked it was because... It does this by sort of weaving together so, uh, insights into socioeconomics, into politics, into um, ecology, into climate science. And it really starts to acknowledge that it's not a condensed problem. And even within the paper, it says, you know, part of the problem up till now is that scientists have been really working hard. But even the scientists are within their own bubbles quite often. They've mm. got specialities and they don't necessarily talk to each other as much as they should. So the that even they don't necessarily get to comprehend the scale of the problem. And yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Thank you so much for sending that to us. Yeah, uh, we we'll will... put the link in the description. Yeah. But for anyone that doesn't want to read it, essentially what it was is it had a look at the... I'm going I'm to give you a little, a little abstract. Yeah. Not the full abstract, just a smidgen. An abstract of the abstract. So they basically were arguing or explaining that the science says that the future environmental conditions are likely to be much more dangerous than we currently believe. And the scale of this is going to be hard, even for experts who's, who have dedicated their lives to these fields to really come to terms with them to, to understand. And it asks, as you said, whether any kind of political or economic or leadership system is capable of handling yeah. that. Um, but the thing I liked is that it really does, as you said, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost a call to arms for scientists yeah. to, to communicate and to speak to government, to you know, businesses and the public, but to not just sit on their research. Yeah. And on, on first read, it comes across quite, um, it may be quite depressed because it's, it's it paints a very, very bleak picture. But yeah. they say themselves that the point of the article is to say we need to have a, a, like an honest discussion, an open discussion, because mm. scientists don't, in, in the current political climate, get to be honest and candid about the science that they're doing. And 
Yeah, it quite, was, like it yeah. wasn't an uh, "we're all going to die" kind of paper. It was even, you know, maybe at times it feels like it's going. It was, it was to be, realistic, wasn't it? It was actually like we to not die. Yeah, we need to be much more realistic. Yeah. We need to use the science, and we need to use the successful interventions that we've already found. But we need to use those properly and at scale, and we all need to work together. And I think as a science communicator, and I don't know if this is what you found as well. I was really pleased to see how strongly that they felt communications could yes. be one of the things. Well, is essential to turning the ship around and yeah. and making sure like you said that all audiences are engaged and understand the scale of of what's going on um yeah. even though it does perhaps trigger some eco anxiety yeah my, my highlight of the paper actually was where it described our current way of living as an ecological ponzi scheme yes so the idea that actually we're, we're going on about how our standard of living's gone up everything's much better we're all healthier and safer and it's like yeah but the way in which we have taken from the natural environment in a very unbalanced way means we're actually borrowing from future generations, which is a point that's been made before, but I think as succinctly as, succinctly as in this paper, because it's saying that the, the further you get into the future, the more they're going to pay for what we are doing now. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, if anyone's remotely interested in this kind of like full context, climate, environment, nature, biodiversity, politics, it's a really great place to start. It is such a good paper. It genuinely is really interesting. Like you said, like the language is really accessible. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna link that. Um, yes, in we the are. So thank you very much again for sending that in. We we hadn't actually yeah. seen that. I, I, I'd seen some like articles around it. I've seen people talking you know, about it, but hadn't yeah. dived in. Yeah, so, so that, was, that was really nice. Thank you, Jack. Hope that answers your question. Um, and yeah, listeners, if you'd like to send us stuff, please do. We genuinely do yeah, really enjoy it and absolutely. read it. And a lot of the um, episodes that we've got coming up for the next couple of months have been suggested by you. So we don't ignore you. We've got our no, head to we the ground. Not. We love you guys very much. We do. Um, Come right. in. Disclaimer me, Lloyd. Um, all our thoughts and opinions expressed uh, within this podcast are our own and are not of our res- respective employers uh, or associates. Exactly. So, if you're mad at anything we've said about bogs, I thought that was very, very, very good legal. I'm ready to debate bogs. Mumbo jumbo. Yeah, I think we're, we're fired up for bogs, aren't mm-hmm. we? So, come and have a chat with us and um, follow us on all of the necessary social media. All of them. All, we are most places. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can drop us an email at forwardatsearthpod at gmail.com. Yes, please do. And uh, leave us a cheeky five-star review. Uh, oh, yeah, that actually goes a really long way. It really, really helps because then we fly up the charts and, you know, someone halfway across the world goes, oh, I wonder what's in the science and nature charts today that I need to be reading about. And then they listen to us and they're like, ah, oh, you've changed my life. I'm going to recycle everything now and then and then we've we've saved the world so your five star review goes a long way it, it truly does that's exactly what happens yeah no, literally absolutely. exactly what happens yeah yeah great well we'll uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks bye bye, bye.